Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. Today we're going to be talking about the Eucharist, Jesus truly, substantially, body, blood, soul, and divinity present in the Eucharist and the appearances of bread and wine. And uh, we're going to be talking about why we believe that straight from the Bible today. In our last episode, we worked backwards through history, starting from our current, our present time, all the way back to 2,000 years ago, to the very beginning, where uh, we see the first Christians right after Jesus's death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, believing that that is truly Jesus in the Eucharist. And so now we're going to work through the Bible. So in the New Testament letters, so right after, uh, this is about 20 to 30 years after Jesus's ascension into heaven, St. Paul is writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 5. He refers to Jesus as our Paschal or our Passover sacrifice, and we are to hold fast to the feast. So we have to eat this feast. In 1 Corinthians 10, it's not a, it's not symbolic, but it's an actual participation, a communion in the body and blood of Jesus, St. Paul refers to it as. And then in 1 Corinthians 11, we see the institution narrative. And St. Paul is talking about discerning the body and blood of Jesus every time you come to the Lord's Supper. And it's so real that you could literally draw judgment upon yourself without believing that Jesus is actually there and or receiving him without with mortal sin on your on your conscience and soul and that you can be guilty for the body and blood of Jesus. And in Acts 2.42, it says that the entire community was, was devoted to the teaching of the apostles, the prayers, and the breaking of the bread. Well, what is breaking of the bread? Is that just a meal or is that just like people get together? Well, we find out what breaking of the bread is all the way throughout the Gospels. And before Jesus's whole earthly ministry, or after Jesus's earthly ministry, where Jesus is now resurrected and before his ascension, we see what breaking of the bread was referred, why uh, the first Christians referred to breaking of the bread as in Luke 24. And it's the, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus where Jesus appears to them and Jesus literally celebrates mass with them. You'll read all the way through Luke 24 that Jesus, and they don't know that is Jesus yet. Jesus uh, teaches them all the way from the very beginning, from the law of Moses through the prophets on how Jesus fulfills all of uh, the Old Testament scriptures. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of all of this. And then they ask him, well, to come and have this meal with us. And Jesus again, he's at table with them. And then he breaks bread. And then his, their eyes were opened and he vanishes from their side. It doesn't say that he left them. He says that they van- he vanished. But through the breaking of the bread, that their eyes were opened. And then they told all the apostles and disciples how Jesus was made known to them in the breaking of the bread, even though their hearts burned within them when, they op- when, he- when Jesus himself, the best teacher of- er- ever to walk on this earth, obviously, he taught them himself sacred scripture. It was the best Bible study ever, and yet their eyes were closed, and he, they did not recognize him until the breaking of the bread. And so you're gonna, we're going to see later how Jesus' ministry is exactly reflecting before his, his passion, his death, and his resurrection. Uh, bef- even before that, he's reflecting on this breaking of the bread. And so it's the same pattern found in Luke 24 when Jesus, after his resurrection, before his ascension, he celebrates Mass and literally gives himself body, blood, soul, and divinity again in the appearance of bread and wine to the disciples on Emmaus. So what is this that is that makes Jesus our Paschal or our Passover meal, our direct communion with the body and blood of Jesus? It's You can even draw judgment upon yourself without discerning the body and blood of Jesus. 
and that made the eyes of the apostles or the disciples open. So what could this possibly be? So first, we always want to start out with some uh, some things that reference back to the Old Testament, right? Because we want to read it as the New Testament writers understood the scriptures, wrote the scriptures, and how the first Christians had the context and the history and tradition of reading scripture. So now we're going to go through all of these things in the Old Testament that Jesus in the Eucharist fulfills. Okay, Jesus fulfills everything in the Old Testament, and therefore it's always greater than the Old Testament, the Old Covenants. And so when we go back to the all the way to the beginning, you see in the garden that there's this tree of good and evil, but there's also this tree of life. Um, and that fruit of the tree of life is Jesus and the, and the new covenant. And, G, and God has always wanted to bring us back to that uh, initial creation where we walked in the coolness of the day with, the, with God, right? In this right relationship with God. And so, and even St. Paul refers to Jesus being on a tree. And it's because there's that tree of life at the beginning. And uh, so there's one uh, Old Testament fulfillment that Jesus has that's on the Eucharist. Melchizedek. And we're supposed to eat of that fruit of the tree of life, right? Melchizedek, he was a high priest that predates Abraham. He blessed Abraham. He was the high priest that offered bread and wine back to God. And in the letter of Hebrews, the author talks about Jesus as a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And that's because Jesus offered bread and wine, right? And in his ministry, offering bread and wine. And so there's a second Old Testament fulfillment. Third, you move all the way to, you move to Abraham. Abraham is told by God to go out with Isaac, his son, and to sacrifice him, but God stops him and tells him that he is going to provide a lamb. So God himself will provide a lamb. And we're going to see that later, especially in the Gospel of John. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so that is the Lamb of God there, but also there's this frequent lamb reference or pattern, right? So uh, then you, when you move to Moses, he was he led the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt to the promised land, right? So to free from the, uh, the slavery that, was, that the Israelites were captivity to in Egypt, they, the last night of all of these plagues that happened, they sacrificed a lamb and with a hyssop branch, they would just sprinkle the blood on the doorpost of the Israelite households, and then their firstborn child would be saved. However, the Egyptian firstborn would die. And so uh, that was when the Pharaoh the Egyptian, the, in Egypt allowed the Israelites to go free to worship their God, right? And this is what, always what it's about, is to worship God in, in, uh, exactly in freedom. And so God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so with that event, though, afterwards, God wants all of his people to remember what he's always done for them. So he institutes through Moses this Passover meal that was to be celebrated once a year. And that's why that's like what Christians we call Easter here in America, but it's actually derived. The term Easter is actually derived from a German word, but actually all throughout the world, Easter is actually still considered like Pasch or Paschal. And that comes from the Jewish term of Passover, this Passover meal, right? So Jesus is our Passover lamb as the Jews had their Passover meal, the Seder meal with a lamb. And so God institutes through Moses this annual meal that was to be celebrated by all Israelites and the Jewish people still today uh, celebrate this Passover meal. And it is to remember what God did for their ancestors, but it's also re-configuring uh, or it's re-presenting what God did th- 
to their ancestors, uh, you know, thousands of years ago, but still today for them, that they were led out of captivity, that they were freed into the promised land. And so that annual event was celebrated with a Passover lamb that they would partake of. So Jesus also fulfills the Passover lamb, which was the event of Moses in the Egyptians and this Passover meal that was celebrated. And uh, we see here too with this, uh, with these covenants of the old of the Old Testament, where all covenants had three specific pieces to it. One would be to swear a sacred oath, and then two would be to offer a sacrifice. And so what they're saying is, by this sacred oath, if I break this sacred oath, then what is happening to this sacrificial lamb or the sacrificial uh, whatever that they're offering in the, in the sacrifice? This is what happen, should happen to me. And same with Jesus, we swear, we swear, we swear a sacred oath. And just like Saint Paul says that you can draw judgment upon yourself, but if you don't discern the body and blood of Jesus, you're saying that what happened to Jesus should happen to me, and that, and that is rightly so because our sins can never uh, be satisfied by finite sacrifices, which were offered in the Old Testament. It can only be be sacrificed, or it can only be satisfied through the blood of Jesus, the divine. Um, uh, mediation of our sins. And so this, uh, so that was the second part. So, and the third part was to share a common meal. Those were the, what the covenants had to swear, to swear a sacred oath together, offer a sacrifice and share a common meal. They had to eat a meal or your firstborn son would die in the case of the uh, Passover uh, lamb, the Passover meal that the Jewish people celebrated. And then uh, another Old Testament fulfillment that Jesus is, is manna, the miraculous bread from heaven. And this was not just bread. It was miraculous bread from heaven. It was the bread of angels. And uh, then we see also in the tabernacle, the presence bread, and which is actually like you can even translate it to the bread of the face. It's this presence bread in the, in the Jewish tabernacle. And then uh, there was this Toda sacrifice. Jews expected only the Toda sacrifice to continue, which was a bread and wine of thanksgiving that would be offered when the Messiah comes. So Jews expected a, a Mosaic Messiah who would inaugurate a new exodus and lead Israel to a new heavenly land. And one of the signs would be to produce manna. And we're going to see later what Jesus does with that. Uh, and so that would be miraculous bread. So just to recap all of those Old Testament fulfillments of Jesus in the Eucharist, it would be the tree of life at the beginning, the fruit of the tree of life at the beginning, uh, the high priest of Melchizedek offering sacrifice under the form of bread and wine, Abraham, which God said that he would provide a lamb for, Moses, the Passover event, the Passover lamb that was used in the, the event of the Passover and the annual Passover meal of the Jewish people, Manna, the miraculous bread from heaven, which fed the Israelites daily on their way from captivity while they wandered in the desert for, for 40 years, that God gave them this miraculous bread from heaven, the, the bread of angels, to sustain them every single day for their strength, and then the presence bread in the tabernacle. And so all of these things point to a new manna, a new lamb of God, a new and better uh, form of bread and wine offered under the uh from the order of Melchizedek and a new and better tree, uh, fruit of tree of life, all found in Jesus in the Eucharist. And so, uh, and even 
there's this woman named Rosalind Ross, and now her name, she's, a, she's, a, a, she's in a religious order. Her name is Mother Miriam of the Lamb of God. She was a convert from Judaism, to, and she had a powerful encounter with, uh, uh, she had a powerful conversion to Jesus, and she ended up in going through different churches and Protestantism, and then she became Catholic, and she says this all the time. She, this is her quote, The most Jewish thing a Jew can do is to become Catholic. And that's because what Jesus says, salvation is from the Jews and Jesus. And she found the Messiah in the Eucharist at, at her first mass. So, uh, and I'll leave that in the show notes too. So people can uh, read her story if you would like. So <clears throat> now when you move to the gospels and we're going to look at Jesus's life, there's a few hints right up, right at the very beginning. Jesus is born in a manger. A manger is literally a feeding trough that animals would eat out of. So Jesus comes as a little child and he's born in a manger. And this is a symbol that he was going to feed the world. He is born in a city named Bethlehem, which is literally called the house or city of bread. And the our father that he and the our father that he teaches us, at the very beginning, they actually translated the give us this day our daily bread. They would actually translate that as supernatural bread because this daily bread would reference back to the manna of the Old Testament of the what God gave the Israelites in their wanderings of the desert to sustain them every single day, to strengthen them every single day, this miraculous bread from heaven. They would give that to them daily, and that wasn't even natural bread. That wasn't even normal bread. It was bread from heaven. And so Jesus is the true bread from heaven, so it was this supernatural bread. And then at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, you see this wedding banquet, right? And so, uh, and there's so much depth to this. And in this case, so it's the wedding of Cana, where Mary is the prominent figure there. It's Mary, and then Jesus and his apostles are there too. And there's un- this unnamed bride and groom, and this whole uh, and this whole party going on. And there's multiple depths to this. You see the sacrament of marriage in it. You see. Mary interceding, you see Jesus transforming, and then uh, you're you get the symbolism of we're supposed to give everything that we have to Jesus in obedience, fill up our water jars with everything that we can naturally, and so Jesus can transform it supernaturally. And then we have also just the symbolism of purification that Jesus is going to provide us because there's six stone water jars there. So there's a lot of symbolism there. So I don't want to just make it seem like this is what this scripture solely means. And that's what's so beautiful about being Catholic is that it's a both and. And you can look at scripture multiple different ways. So one of the ways that we see here is uh, when Mary asks Jesus for to give them new wine. And uh, so he connects this this time with the hour of his death because he says, woman, my hour has not yet come. So... <laughs> His hour has not yet come, and he's referring back to, and you see all the way through the Gospel of John, that he's, that hour he's meaning for what is going to happen to him on his passion. So last Thursday and, and uh, good, the Holy Thursday and Good Friday. So Jesus, his hour is his passion and death, right? And he connects this request of changing, of giving them wine, because there's going to be new wine of the Holy Spirit and new wine also in the the blood of Jesus. So this miracle is a sign of the sacrament of marriage, which God has always wanted to wed himself to his people. And so from the beginning with creation and Genesis and all the way at the end of Revelation, 
it's a marriage supper. So at the very beginning, uh, there is a marriage. And at the very end in Revelation, you're going to see it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And what does John call Jesus at the very beginning? The Lamb of God. And so right here at the wedding of Cana, Jesus is connecting this marriage with giving his his blood, his flesh for the life of the life of the world, right? So he is requested to give new wine. And he said, I am going to give new wine, but my hour has not yet come yet, right? So where he is going to offer his entire self, his body for the life of the world. And so Jesus right here, he is showing that he is the center. He is the, the mediation of God's covenant, of the eternal covenant, where God is going to wed himself to his people, that we are going to be fully embraced in this marriage with the Lamb of God, who is going to give his life for the world, who is going to give his, his body, blood, soul, and divinity for us so that we can live. And I cannot believe already 15 minutes has gone by and I have so much more to go through, but these are just little tiny hints of what we, the just little tiny things that we can see even leading up to the bigger items that we're going to be talking about in the Gospels uh, next week. So I'm going to record that, post it next week, and I'm super excited for that. And uh, so yeah, just a recap, we went through the Old Testament, all the fulfillments, and we can already see that it cannot just be a symbol it cannot just be bread because in the Old Testament, the Lamb of God, the um, miraculous bread from heaven, those the miraculous bread from heaven wasn't even just bread. It was supernatural bread from heaven. And so in the New Covenant where everything is greater cannot just be that. And Jesus identifies himself as the true bread from heaven. But we're going to go through all of that in much, much, much more detail next week. And uh, yeah, I'm just praying for you guys. I hope this was a fruitful little hint that you can see in the New Testament where Jesus already at the very beginning of the Gospels, him being uh, born in a manger in Bethlehem, the supernatural bread that our Father wants to give us daily for our strength. And Jesus wants to transform what we give him in our natural so that Jesus can transform it with his supernatural grace uh, that he uh, can give only through the cross when Jesus poured out his blood, his life for us to truly live as sons and daughters of God. 